So let's uh, open then to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. And uh, if you like a verse, uh, which I've got a text this morning, which is there in verse uh, 8 of Matthew 23. Perhaps not a a familiar verse, one of those uh, favorite verses, uh, but it is a precious one indeed, where Jesus, talking to his disciples, says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Reading from the New King James, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And he goes on to repeat it uh, there in verse 10, do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, uh, the Christ. So interesting words of our Lord Jesus, but very clear, very definitive, and speaking uh, about Uh, the purpose of and the mission of his life and his ministry. In the New Testament, of course, there were different worldviews in Jesus' day. There were the Pharisees, as we read in our reading, there were the Sadducees, there were the Romans, and there were the Greeks, all come in with their different opinions and their different attitudes to life in general, and also in particular towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as there are opinions and varying attitudes in our world today and into our world still comes the same message and the same words of our Lord Jesus Christ that one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That could be a favorite Bible verse for somebody uh, as well. So Jesus came into the world to bring us glorious hope in the midst of all the opinions and the attitudes and the drumbeat and the mantras of various organizations. In the midst of it is the voice of Scripture, is the voice of God coming to us and saying that there is a unified teaching, there is the uniqueness of the Christ, and there is the unity of of the taught. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all a brethren. Jesus comes to bring us hope in the midst of reality. What do I mean by reality? I mean by everything that exists out there, the state of things as they actually exist, not the things that we idealistically hope for. It's not for us, for us to know, not enough for us to know how everything works. We need to know what everything means. There are indeed big questions to be answered. There was in Jesus' day as well as in our day. We want to know why we exist. We want to know where did we come from. We want to know why there is such breathtaking beauty. And yet, in the midst of it, there is such heinous wickedness and evil before our very eyes. Why is there so much suffering in the world? What's the pandemic been about all that we have lived through? Why have I survived and someone else hasn't survived? Uh, Why have those athletes done so well uh, and uh, achieved their dreams and yet others don't achieve their dreams in the world? What happens when I die? Which department of the government will you ring up tomorrow and ask that question? What happens when I die? There isn't a department. They're not interested. Eat, drink, and be merry, and wear your mask. Unless you're in a nightclub, of course. That's an issue, isn't it? (laughs) That's an issue. 
See, but when we ask these questions, what we really want is not highly detailed answers. We, we want to know whether or not at the heart of ultimate reality does everything have a purpose or is it all just meaningless or is there a lens through which we can look this morning and see everything in order to make sense of all that is happening in our world to bring the answers to those big questions. And what we view our world through, of course, shapes our thinking, shapes our belief, shapes our attitude and our behaviour. So what is the worldview which can bear the weight of such a reality? What is the worldview which can bear the, and bring the answers to such huge questions? Jesus comes into our world and says, one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all a brethren. See, Jesus is teaching that there's only one worldview that's possible, and that is the bringing God right into the centre of the picture, because the ultimate reality is the almighty triune God. There is no one else, because God sees the history as a whole. To him, a thousand years is as one day, and one day as a thousand years. Genesis gives us the beginnings the book of the Revelation will give us the endings, but everything else in between is under the sovereign power and exercise of the divine decree. And everything in between reveals mankind's natural history, yes, but his spiritual history as well. And those two things merge as the, this pilgrim journey goes on before our very eyes. Is God himself who upholds and governs all things. And if we believe in God, we will see our world. <laughs> it's a difficult world. There's, a, there's a, a weight to it. There's a heaviness about it. But we will see it, yes, infected with evil. But through the lens of the Bible, we will see there is great meaning. And we will see that there is tremendous hope for the future, particularly hope for our eternal destiny for the future of our souls. But if that isn't what you believe about ultimate reality, if you just believe that there is this product of mindless forces, you will see everything as fundamentally meaningless and hopeless, and you will live with despair, as many do. How many young people have taken their own lives because they live with despair? Because they don't have a framework. They don't have an identity. They don't experience the love of God for their soul. It doesn't take much to understand why there is so much despair and why there are so many issues. We have tripartite beings, body, soul, and spirit. And if you're only running on two-thirds gas, you leave the spiritual out, it's clear to see that you're not being fulfilled. But when, you, when you're whole, when you invite God in and embrace his love and accept his saviour and accept his word and his blessing, the grace of God, the riches of God, and accept his hope, my word, 2020 vision doesn't quite cover it. You see clearly, you see meaningful 
the meaning of life and the purpose of life made in the image of God a unique identity before a holy God to live your life for the glory of God that God will do what he wants with your life for his glory and it's the blessed life he only adds he doesn't take away and this, while this, this world is passing isn't it this world is not my home is it your home have you put such roots down that you're, in fa you're fixed and you're immovable and you think you're going to live for eternity? Well, even the medical science will only tell you it's only 120 years long. And how many get there? Most of us struggle around the three score years and, and ten. And many struggle with less, of course. Matthew was convinced he was a Jew, wasn't he, in his day? And he was convinced that Christianity was the continuation of the Old Testament. Not only the continuation, but it was the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises that God had made to his people. And before their very eyes was this one, Jesus of Nazareth, coming before them and saying, One is your teacher, Matthew, the Christ. And he sees, his eyes open up before him, and his heart is so enlarged that in the record of the gospel, 61 quotations from the Old Testament, he launches from and says, remember that? Well, there's the fulfillment, and there's the reality. God has been faithful, and God is alive, and he's amongst us, and he's teaching us the uniqueness of this Christ, and that we are the people of God in our day and in our a generation. Other Jews were looking for the Messiah for the same thing, and yet they stumbled at this last hurdle, so to speak. They couldn't recognize in Jesus of Nazareth the blessing and the provision of God. We're not having this man to rule over us, <laughs> however great he is in human terms. We're not having him to rule over us. See, there were plenty of teachers in Jesus' day, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, they, they came, didn't they, with all their traditions and with all their, their, their uh, recollection of, of their, their great fathers of the past, and they insisted that their teaching must be adhered to. So if you insist that, well, you cannot consider something new. You will never ever consider the reality of the promises and the fulfillment of God what God was doing in their very midst, and yet they were opposed to him. They tried to trick the Lord Jesus Christ with their nonsense questions in the previous chapter, and how Jesus comes to them, and he gives them the truthful answers, and they even rise Jesus' sleeve, and they say in chapter 22, verse 16, Teacher, we know that you are true. <laughs> we know that you come from God. You teach the way of God in truth. Well, if they know that, why didn't they believe it? You can't rise someone's name and say, we know you're true and you come from God, and then just dismiss him and rebel against him and seek ultimately to crucify the Son of God. Truth is truth. Don't argue with the truth. So we better come quickly to our text, and we firstly, one is your teacher, unified 
uh, teaching. See, Jesus has looked out onto his world and he's seen the, the divisiveness of the religious leaders of his day. He's seen how they are disunited and hypocrisy reigns and rules in their teaching. They say one thing and, and then they go and do something else and Jesus condemns it outrightly. Verse 3 tells us this, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. There's nothing unified about the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. Yes, it comes from Moses, their great leader, of course. Moses appointed by God. But they weren't expounding what Moses was saying. They were adding to it. They were embellishing it. They took what they liked and left what they didn't like. But Jesus Christ never ever laid aside the law of Moses. He said, oh, it's foundational. And into the New Testament he comes to be that revelation of it and the fulfillment of it and to fulfill the teaching of it in that perfect knowledge of God. Not only for them, but for ourselves down through the years. Is unified teaching necessary? Is a biblical worldview necessary? Well, yes. God couldn't even trust his own nation to live out and to teach out the truth of the word of God and to pass the truth on to the next generation. And so it's put into writing and a unified teaching is created, and we have these glorious eternal truths which work together, and they act, and they're interwoven together over history and over the ages with this common purpose to benefit and to bless, uh, to bless the people of God for the glory of God, and particularly for our soul. Truth that works for the eternal destiny of your soul so that when you're on your deathbed and you're a believer, what have you got left? All you've got left is the eternal word of God, absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's either truth or you're the most miserable people on earth this morning. If you don't have Christ, if you do not have that assurance in your soul that when that day and that moment comes, your soul rises continually in worship and adoration, that your Saviour is coming for you and that you are safe in the arms of Jesus. Of course, unified teaching is necessary for the life which we live now as well as for the life which is yet to come. See, our world, it doesn't know who to trust today. Where does truth lie in our world? We see governments fighting against governments about information and about who's the top dog, so to speak. And now we have websites who check facts, apparently, before they go out onto the internet. And sadly, such organizations still embellish those, those truths and those facts to suit their own agenda. We live in this world with these competing truth claims. We are told these days what to believe. We are told how to believe and what not to believe. We're told how to behave in this way, but not in another way. How do men and women today, how do you and I know, know what to think about morality? 
What are we to think about relationships? What are we to think about God? What are the origins of our universe? Why is there so much suffering? We need a unified teaching. We need ultimate authority that we might know, that we might commit our soul to it, and trust in the great revelation of Holy Scripture. See, mankind today, scientists, whoever, government leaders, those with power, they tell us that in the world there is sufficient capacity, sufficient resources, sufficient intellect, sufficient knowledge for men and women to live happily ever after. Can you see a utopia around the corner? I certainly can't. It's going worse. <laughs> We're not going there. We're going down. But men and women don't like to think upon it. And they criticize this unified teaching of Holy Scripture. They say it's unnecessary. They say it's superfluous. Surely the, in the light of nature and the logic and the advances in science, they are sufficient to guide us and to teach us how to live happily in this world. And yet they dismiss the reality throughout the whole world, throughout the whole world, the inner desire of men and women to bow down and worship something of an idol. They know that this life isn't sufficient. They know they need something more, and they deny it. And they create something out of wood, precious metals, gold, whatever, and they bow down and give themselves to it. The lie of it is perpetuated through history. And God comes with his unified teaching. And he wants us to commit our souls unto it. See, outside of the Alpha of Scripture and the Omega of Scripture, what do we have as unified teaching? What do we have for our pilgrim a journey. It's necessary that God brings it to us. God and God alone can bring such a revelation to our souls because nature and the natural world cannot do it. We can look out upon creation, can't we? We can even admit that God is the great creator and designer behind this tremendous design of creation in the world. Beautiful. We know that knowledge. We have that information. Well, what about the soul? How can I know peace with God? How can I have my sins forgiven? Where do I go to find that knowledge to have my sins forgiven? How can I know peace with God? Where do I go for salvation? How can my soul know in whom to trust? Is there a saviour? Is there a redeemer? How is true justice and righteousness to be known in our world unless we have a unified teaching for all nations and for all men from the Alpha to the Omega of our experience. It is absolutely necessary that God brings it and God reveals it and reveals himself as the great creator, the great saviour and the great uh, ruler of justice in his sovereignty for all men everywhere. No wonder the Bible is described as a mirror. Uh, the faithfulness of the Bible to reveal our condition before God, to reveal God himself. It's like a mirror, we look at it. 
And we can see in it, like a sword, a pointed word that, yes, it does bring conviction. Yes, it does touch the sore spots. Yes, it cuts. Yes, it gets right to the, the hub of the matter. Yes, it brings conviction. But with a purpose for the blessing of God. The Bible is described like a seed which goes down into the ground and up comes the new life. As Peter will speak of that, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But natural man doesn't know the way. Doesn't know how these things, these blessings can be obtained. There is this blindness that the enemy of our souls has come and brought across the nations. A blindness to the truths of God and to the heavenly realm and the kingdom of God and to the reality of an eternal soul. We need unified teaching. And praise God. God anointed men of old. He anointed them, he led them, he inspired them by the Holy Spirit to write and to write in harmony and to write authoritatively over a 1600-year period with 40, at least 40 different writers from various backgrounds and giftings, all speaking about one message and one common theme, this great almighty God and his great heart of love. And he has given it to us. I better move on quickly. See, God is able to communicate by his Spirit. Secondly, then, the uniqueness of the teacher. One is your teacher, the Christ. Well, the Christ. Uniqueness unlike no other. Is he that to you this morning? Is he unlike no other? When the multitudes heard this teaching, they were astonished at his teaching. No one was able to answer him a word, not from that day on, nor did anyone dare question him anymore. He is a unique teacher, a unique individual with authority from God, and he demonstrated his power and his uniqueness through his miracles and through his teaching, and the Pharisees recognized this, and yet they stumbled at this hurdle. Such a unique individual, and yet they run from him and they seek to put him to death. They recognize Moses clearly enough. They recognize Moses down through the years. They recognize King David down through the years. They look back. They're looking forward for a Messiah, a unique man to fulfill the, word of, the word, will of God. And yet when this unique man comes, Jesus of Nazareth, they don't recognize him. Even when they say you've come from God and you, you, hold, you preach the truth of God. Oh dear, dear. So such a sadness and blindness that they effectively accuse Jesus of destroying all that their father, forefathers believed. And Jesus comes and he says, I am. I'm not destroying it. I'm fulfilling it. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world, demonstrating his uniqueness through his miracles and through his preaching and teaching, through his relationship with his, with his Father in heaven, living a perfect life, unique in every way. See, at the heart of the message of the Bible, at the heart of the gospel, is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other. 
If you came, you've been coming to this church a while. Have you ever heard this church speak about any other in all the years you've been coming here? It's the uniqueness for his work. And you're still finding facets uh, and nuggets of gold about this man and his ministry. But he is the, truly the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. Jesus himself in his ministry, didn't he? Uh, he, he? He was saying things and he was doing things which hinted at his deity. That he was God manifested in the flesh. That he was the one that had been sent from heaven and that he proved it time and time again. And then, after he is crucified, he's risen from the dead. Hallelujah. What a saviour. What a saviour. Is he your saviour? See, if he were just a mere man, uh, would he have been able to pay for his own sins? He didn't have any sins, did he? Because he was God in the flesh. And because he was God in the flesh, perfect in every way, he was able, in that unique sacrifice, uh, to pay and to uh, con consume the wrath of God our sins against an infinite and holy being. Men and women today, they struggle with this uniqueness of Christ. Our world cries out to us today. The media and society and commentators, they can't just be one. They can't just be one saviour. They can't be just one way. We can't all be wrong and just one be right. Well, yet we all can't be right. Jesus comes and he says, I am. And so you and I must be clear on the uniqueness and the identity of this one Jesus of Nazareth. It's so important that we hear what he says, that we learn what he says about himself and about his Father and about what God has done for every single one of us. Where today can you find that one single person that can hold together all of history and all of the future and all the complexities of mankind's inhumanity to mankind and all the longings and hopes. Where is the one individual that can hold it all together and fulfill the prophecy and promise of Scripture and in fulfilling it then convey the power of it into your heart and life that you may have the power to live eternally? Where is the one unique individual? The Bible says it's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, one is your teacher. The Christ. The Christ. We can be confused about many issues, but not, we must never ever be confused about this one. The uniqueness of the Christ. And thirdly, after the unified teaching and after the uniqueness of the teacher, we come to the unity of of the taught, the unity of the taught. Jesus turns to he, these disciples. They were a motley crew, weren't they? They were a mixed bunch. They were feeling their way uh, with all that they were hearing and relating to one another. And Jesus says to them, you've now got a new identity as disciples. You're all brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all one in Christ. On one occasion, Jesus 
himself used his own earthly family as a picture of his relationship with his followers, a family of his that, sh that were joined by faith, not by blood. And on one occasion, Jesus was talking to the crowd and his mothers and brothers were outside waiting to speak to him. And someone said to him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus wasn't dismissing his earthly family, just bringing this contrast and the uniqueness of this relationship of the brothers and sisters who are in Christ, the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the bond that I have with you, disciples, is the bond that I have with every other child of God with all who will come after you. It is unique in every way. It is a spiritual relationship, a spiritual brotherhood. There is an intimate family bond amongst the people of God which cannot ever be broken. There is the love of God for you and there is the love of God manifested from you to your brothers and sisters. It's the unity of the taught. All one in Jesus Christ. The spiritual reality. You can travel to the ends of the world and you can bump into another person and you can engage in conversation and they speak about Christ and there's a witness in your spirit that they are born of the same God and the same spirit as you and you find that you are a part of the same family. The reality of the spiritual brotherhood of men and women of being born again by the Spirit of God crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Oh, these disciples could squabble like any brother or sister or brother and brother. <laughs> Typical family, wasn't it? And Jesus says, no, you don't be like the Pharisees and the scribes and you don't squabble like others. You focus on me and on the spiritual reality and the intimacy of relationship and the vital way in which I have brought you into my life. Now you be holy as I am holy. Nathaniel started the meeting about speaking about humility, if I remember correctly. And this is what Jesus is saying here. You're all one in Christ all drawing on the great resources, the riches of God's grace, all being blessed with gifts and abilities, all seeking the same Heavenly Father, all living their life from the same teaching, all having the unique one as their Saviour, this Lord Jesus Christ, all being birthed one by one, name by name, into this family, having our identity. As a child of God. Identity is a big thing these days, isn't it, in the world? People searching for identity. They're one thing one day and they, they want to identify as something else the next day. What about the next day? And how long will it last? And Jesus says, no, no, you're in Christ now. That's your identity. 
who are in Christ and portray the glory of this gospel and of this salvation. You have come to know this great creator. You've accepted his offer of salvation. And now you're birthed in him in this unique uh, equality of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So your status in the world is not in doubt. Men and women are grappling for status today. But your status in the sight of God is radically different to the struggles of men and women. Your status is a child of God. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. All men and women, all one in Jesus Christ. Sadly today, there is a famine of the word of God. Sadly today, teaching isn't from one source. People don't know who to trust. And yet the masses are being taught, aren't they? They're being taught by government. They're being taught by social media. They're being taught uh, by the, uh, the pop stars and the entertainment world. They're being taught to live certain ways, to, to behave in certain ways. And everyone can have their say and everyone can believe what they like because the individual is king. Ah. Jesus says, one is your teacher, the Christ. Pray for these children as they're growing up. Pray for your grandchildren. School education is totally different from when you and I went to school. My word, we wouldn't recognize it if we walked back through those doors today. Humanistic philosophy. From a very young age, they are being steeped into it. And no wonder they're walking away from the church and from the house of God and the word of God to do whatever is right in their own eyes. No wonder the world doesn't teach this, this glorious good news. It's pushed to the margins of society. They say it's not unique. They say there are others. And men and women today are starved of spiritual truth and reality. Starved of stability. Starved of hope and purpose in life, starved of answers to their questions. And they carry burdens, and they carry heartache all their life because they have got no one in whom to trust and no trustworthy teaching. There was an extraordinary occasion recently when an unusual outbreak of common sense happened in the court of law. A judge, no less, a judge ruled what you and I and most probably most people knew to be true already, that it's perfectly acceptable to say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. In a court of law that was decided. That's how far we've moved from the word of God and from the image of God and from the purposes of God and from the truth of God. And truth doesn't come from government. It comes from God. It comes from God. The scriptures are our sole source of truth. Is there a remedy today? Praise God there is. The only our remedy today is to pray and to give ourselves to God's word, to give ourselves to God, to this triune God, that he will revive his church in the midst of the years, that he will continue to have mercy upon us, that he will again pour out his grace upon us. He is the only answer to our confusion. He is the only answer to our drift 
in society further and further away. He is the only one who's got the power to draw us again to unify teaching, to the uniqueness of the Christ, for us to realize unity of the taught, brothers and sisters, in the bonds of Christ. Blessed be his holy name. Thank him for who he is. Ever worship him, the unchanging God, even a 21st century society. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever.